Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Ever want to know why are there all these fad diets around? Lose 20 pounds the first week, curb your hunger forever, follow this special Hollywood starlet plan and have a summer bikini body to die for. Well, will you actually cause harm because of the latest craze? What is a healthy diet, and what should you do if you have special restrictions and can't eat foods that would increase your cholesterol or increase your sugars or even cause gout? Well, Sally Bellas is in the studio, certified diabetes educator and expert nutritionist, and she's ready to help all of us understand the basics of nutrition, what healthy foods to eat while still indulging in the occasional treat. I hope so, Sally. My personal favorite, a little chocolate now and then. We'll be taking your calls in just a few minutes at 941-3689 on Oahu. We're toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. First in medical news, berries from Costco. Everybody's heard about it. If you bought Townsend Organic Berries, are you going to get hepatitis A? Well, there have been a couple of cases confirmed already in the islands, and there might be more. According to the Department of Health, if you have those frozen berries, don't eat them. You can either destroy the package or return to Costco for a refund if it's been more than two weeks since you had exposure to the berries and you have no symptoms, you're probably fine. If it's been less than two weeks, there may be an interval where getting a vaccination might be helpful. Again, this is not a definite. In talking with one of my infectious disease colleagues, routine vaccination is not generally recommended unless under special circumstances. If you're concerned about it and you were exposed less than two weeks ago, call your doctor. They might be able to give you some more guidance. Symptoms of hepatitis A include abrupt changes with fevers and fatigue and suddenly a lack of appetite and nausea, dark-colored urine, pain in your belly, followed by jaundice or getting a bit yellow in color within a few days of when you acquire the illness. Again, if you have concerns, you can always talk to your doctor for more help. Have you ever been on a flight when somebody had a medical emergency? It happens in approximately one in every 600 flights. About half the time a doctor is on board, most common emergencies, loss of consciousness or syncope, breathing problems, stomach problems, and very few flights resulted in diversion of the plane. One quarter of all passengers went to the hospital if they were the source of an in-flight emergency. Who's collecting the data? Well, the National Institutes of Health, and they're doing this to help people realize that they can do some things themselves. Make sure if you're about to fly, you have enough fluids to drink. You bring a snack with you, especially if you have a history of a problem with diabetes or even low blood sugar. And make sure you have your medication with you in your carry-on when you travel. Cervical cancer detected with vinegar? In India, where this is still a huge health problem for women, as it is in several developing countries, having a routine gynecologic exam with a small amount of acetic acid applied to the cervix causes cancer cells to light up, and it can make it easier to know when to refer patients to a specialty center for treatment. Here in the United States, the HPV, or human papillomavirus, has been available for the last few years to help protect younger women from cervical cancer, And with the availability of pap smears to detect this cancer, the rates in the U.S. are declining. But now there are easy ways to assist women in developing nations as well.
Can stress really cause a heart attack? If so, could taking antidepressants help? Well, in a recent issue of the Journal of the American Medical Association, researchers at Duke have discovered that those known to have stress-related heart issues are better after treatment for six weeks with an antidepressant than those taking a placebo. Heart attacks related to exercise-induced problems with the heart were not necessarily improved, but those directly resulting from emotional stress were reduced with statistically significant results. More studies are needed to see how this might apply to overall heart care. And lastly, what can you do if you want to prevent infections in the intensive care unit? Well, in the latest issue of the New England Journal of Medicine, treating everyone with a daily nasal medication and also with antibacterial baths several times a day was better than targeting treatment only for those thought to have an infection or isolating those who do. This was in particular looking at hospital-acquired infections that someone might come in with, and these things might get worse in a hospital environment. In a study incorporating over 43 hospitals, universal decontamination was the best. So next time, if you or a loved one are in the intensive care unit and you wonder why you keep getting a bath several times a day with a special solution, you're helping to prevent infections from entering the bloodstream or spreading to other people there in the ICU. Wonder what to eat these days? Don't eat carbs. Don't eat too much protein. Don't eat fat. Wait, what's left? Sally Bella is certified diabetes educator, nutrition expert, is in the studio. She's at Straub Clinic and Hospital. If you've got a dietary challenge, a fad diet, if you wonder, will work. We'd love to hear from you. You can join us at 941-3689 on Oahu, toll-free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Sally, welcome back to The Body Show. I think this is your third appearance. Is that right? It is. Thank you for having me. Third time's a charm. Okay, well, you know, everybody always wants to know, hey, Doc, I want to lose a few pounds. It's summertime. I want to get skinnier. Or in some cases, you know, I want to be careful. I don't get gout or, you know, I have sugar problems. What should I eat? Let's go over some of the basics. All the foods we eat can be broken down into a couple of different things, right? Like protein, carbohydrates, fats. And then you have these other things like minerals and vitamins and stuff. What do we really need? What's the basics? What what should we try and eat a little bit of every day? Well, a, a balanced diet is composed of the three main macronutrients. So that's going to be macronutrients. Your, that's I like right. That. Okay. Macronutrients. macronutrients. So that's your carbohydrates, your proteins, and your healthy fats. So you really shouldn't eliminate any one of these food groups. Absolutely not. Okay. So we should have a little bit of each one of those. How much? I mean, is there a standard amount for like a standard average size individual, normal height, normal weight, normal level of exercise? Is there such a thing? You know, for protein, there are certain recommendations, especially for growing children, pregnant women, uh, and, and persons that are very active. So we do have recommendations particularly for that, and even for carbohydrates for active persons. Uh, the general breakdown is anywhere from 50 to 60% of the total calories coming from carbohydrates, 15 to 20% coming from lean protein, and anywhere from 20 to 30% coming from those healthy fats. Now you say healthy fats. That's right. All right. So I'm thinking that the, probably the fats that I'm thinking of are not the healthy ones. Well, your healthy, your healthy fats are your monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. So, you know, I don't necessarily go to the food store saying, it's time to get some monounsaturated fats. Uh, which aisle is that in? What sorts of things have healthy fats and what sorts of things have those not so healthy ones? Okay, well, let's start with talking about fats. 
there are actually essential fatty acids that our body needs because our bodies cannot synthesize them. So we have to get them from the foods we eat. And these healthy fats come from plant-based sources. So think of olive oil, canola oil, avocados, olives, and nuts. Those are very good sources of monounsaturated fats. Okay. So you'll probably find some of these things, like if you're going to cook with oil, you're saying olive oil is probably better than some of the other types of oils. That's right. It has a higher concentration of monounsaturated fat. So it's perfect for cooking. Now, vegetable oil, it says vegetable in it, but it's not the healthy fat? Well, vegetable oils are polyunsaturated. So they're still in the healthy family. But monounsaturated fats are so important because they can help decrease our LDL cholesterol, and that's the bad cholesterol, also known as the lousy cholesterol. So we need more of those. But guess what? They do something else. They raise the good cholesterol. That's the HDL. So eating olive oil right. can help you lower your LDL and improve your HDL. That's right. So okay, these so are I just like put it in a bottle and I just like start drinking it. I mean, that sounds like a great idea, but I'm sure you should probably not have too much. That's right. So healthy fats in moderation, a little goes a long way. Fats have more than double the calories of the other two macronutrients, carbohydrates and proteins. So the more fat we eat, we double our calories. And so should we be watching this overall calorie amount? I mean, you know, I was at the bookstore the other day and it said, don't count anything but your carbohydrate intake. And I went, well, that sounds simpler than what everybody else says to do, but maybe that's along those lines of the fad diet again. You know, just just eat what you want and only count these certain calories. Is it the total? Is it the breakdown of the different amounts of foods that go into that? I, I'm confused. Well, when we when we talk about calorie restriction, you know, we want to consider that in terms of weight loss and a healthy diet, but we want to focus more on making sure we get all the food groups and we portion our food so we don't get all crazy with calories. But if someone's goal is for weight loss, then we have to consider that. Um, for example, Weight Watchers, which is a great program, they use a point system, and it's similar in terms of looking at calories and the macronutrients and the amounts of those different foods. So there are some programs out there that can kind of make this easier. Right. And we don't want to ever go below 1,200 calories because that can really cause problems for weight loss in the long run because that really lowers the metabolism by not getting enough calories and energy. And we also lose, um, anytime we lose weight, we tend to put f more fat weight on, and that further decreases our metabolism and the amount of calories that we can take in in the future. So weight gain can come back on rather quickly. So that's why when they say, okay, you can lose 20 pounds in one week, that really is not a goal. That's I mean, it's not realistic, but, you know, it's not really a goal. Because if you quickly lose weight really rapidly without really making good, healthy choices, it's going to come back on plus. You got it. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here with Sally Bellis, certified diabetes educator, educator, nutrition expert, and she's busting some myths about what's going on with nutrition these days. If you need a little bit more information, you have a special dietary situation or question, you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. We've got a caller on the line. We've got Mike from Kailua. Mike, welcome to The Body Show. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What can we do for you? Um, I'm actually a bit concerned about the way companies are labeling their food. And um, I wanted to get some information about 
how are they allowed to use the word all natural and is there a law that covers the food labeling regarding that aspect um i just i i don't believe it's all natural if there are 10 ingredients that i can't go out and pick out of the field or i can't even pronounce how can that be on all natural food kind of interesting yeah you read some of those ingredients and you go wow i don't even know what that word means. Boy, if you've ever tried to read Greek, you know, there it is in some of the ingredients. So, Sally, that's a really good question. Mike's looking at labels. A plus for you, Mike, looking at labels. And now you're wondering, you know, how all natural is that? Do we have, I mean, I know that there's criteria for saying something is low fat versus no fat. I know that was a controversy a few years ago and people were saying low fat, but maybe it has more calories than you think, particularly coming from fat. Can anything, quote, be all natural these days, Sally? Are there any regulations? Not really. Not for th- um, labeling like all natural. When we talk about the food label, great question, Mike, because the food label is regulated by the Food and Drug Administration. So it has, you know, they have to be compliant. The problem is all natural isn't on the food label. It's on the outside of the packaging. So that's not regulated. So manufacturers, they can pretty much do whatever they want, advertise. So they can say something's all natural. But does that mean it's organic? Does that mean it's necessarily nutritious? No, not at all. So you, you're, you're spot on in recognizing that you really have to be careful and you have to break it down. Look at that food label and look at the ingredients in the ingredient list. Don't trust what's just on the packaging. So something could be labeled whole grain, but you might go to the food label and it might have one gram of fiber. Now that's not a good source. So um, it's very important to look beyond the packaging and really investigate that food label. So, you know, I'm glad you're looking at at that. Uh, I wanted to ask about that specifically, the whole grains, because that's disappointing as well. Uh, what kinds of grains will be used in a recipe or in a product but only have one gram of fiber? I, I'm picturing whole grain as having about four, five, or six grams of fiber. Absolutely. So any food that has at least five grams per serving is an excellent source. Um, if something has one gram of fiber, that's not even a good source. And so, you know, they may, there might be some whole wheat flour in there or some, some corn. Um, so they can say, okay, whole grain on the front of the packaging. But on the food label, if it doesn't have at least three grams of fiber, which is a good source, or five grams of fiber, which is excellent, it's a very poor source. And you want to look for things like 100% whole wheat or 100% oat bran. You want to look for those things in the ingredient list so that you know that you're truly getting whole grain. So, Sally, it, it could say something like Mike's talking about. And it could say, you know, all natural or great tasting or, you know, uh, has lots of whole grains. But really, you know, Mike, I mean, you're buying this stuff. You're thinking you're being healthy. And look what happens. Oh, boy, it's a challenge. You know, one last question, if I may. Sure, absolutely. If it, if it says made with whole grain, but you look at the, the labeling and it says one gram of fiber, is that deceptive? Are they saying that they started with whole grain because... That's where wheat flour comes from. I mean, do they start with whole grain and remove parts of it? Can they still say they're using whole grain? Or I think that's part of the problem, Mike. So you, you hit on that. That's why you want to play detective and you want to go straight to that food label and look down that ingredients list and look for dietary fiber. It's found under the carbohydrate section of the label because it is up to us, the consumer, to really investigate the food label so we know what we're putting in our bodies. So congratulations for uh, being very aware of that. I guess we got to start calling the food manufacturers and asking them 
how is this a whole grain product, but it's one gram of fiber? You go for it, Mike, and you give me a holler back and let me know what happens. Because okay, I think you. you're right. Absolutely. We need to be a little bit more proactive and let some of the manufacturers know we're not so easily fooled. All right, Sally, it's a good point. But yay, Mike, you're reading labels. Love to hear that. We've got another caller in line. We have JK from Haiku. JK, how's it going over there in Haiku? Well, it's kind of windy, but it's great. All right. Well, tell us a little bit about what we can do for you. Well, you did the story about oils, and you didn't mention coconut oil. And a friend of mine have a very big debate about what's the best oil to cook with, and she says absolutely coconut oil, and you're recommending canola oil. Well, you know, actually, I think, Sally, were you saying canola or were you saying olive oil? I don't like well, olive, oil, olive oil, but olive but oil. apparently it's, like, really good for me, so I'm just going to have to deal with it. But, all right, so coconut. You know, here we are. Come on, it's an island. Coconuts are around. Sally, coconut oil, good, bad? Put it in your hair instead. What do you think? Okay. Yeah, what, what is it? What's the story? Well, let's talk about coconut oil. Coconut oil is different from palm oil, so you want to avoid palm kernel oil. That is a saturated fat. Well, coconut oil is also a saturated fat, but what we know about coconut oil is that it's a medium-chain fatty acid, and without getting into all the science of it, that actually works a little bit differently in terms of how our body metabolizes that. So it's not metabolized the same way as these longer-chain fatty acids, which are bad for us because they increase the LDL bad cholesterol. So extra virgin coconut oil is a medium chain fatty acid. It is in the saturated fat family, but it's the exception to the rule. Um, and um, that's certainly fine to cook with. The reason that a lot of registered dietitians out there and nutritionists will also recommend monounsaturated fats is because you get the double bang for your buck. You get to lower your LDL cholesterol and you get to increase your HDL, which is the good cholesterol. But certainly extra virgin olive oil can also be, or extra um, virgin coconut oil can, can be an option. And I actually like to uh, cook with a number of different types of healthy oils. Well, I've right. also heard that heating olive oil is not good. It's okay to, to take it raw on a salad or something, but heating it is not necessarily good. Well, there's different types of olive oils. So extra virgin olive oil you can cook on low heat um, or kind of saute, but um, sometimes it doesn't stand up to very high heat, so you don't want to be deep frying or, um, you know, really pan searing on a real high heat. Um, so there's regular olive oil and there's light oil. Um, extra virgin olive oil is best for dressings and salads, vegetables, and a light saute. But you, you want to use something that stands up to higher heat um, for, for that kind of high heat cooking. So again, my final question is, coconut oil okay or not? Um, extra virgin coconut oil... Um, is is one of those that's the exception, so that is fine huh. to include in your diet. Yeah, that's a good that's a good one. As good as olive oil, um, it's. I don't want to say they're as good. They're all healthy choices, <laughs> um, but like I said, the olive oil can can not just lower the bad cholesterol, but it can help increase your good cholesterol. So that's very powerful in terms of heart health. Okay. All right, J.K. I think it's a number two. Thank number you. one is that darn olive oil that I just don't like the taste of. And number two is yummy coconut oil. I'm going to give that a two. I don't know, Sally. I'm just going to do it because I'm, I'm not a certified nutritionist. So I'm going to blow all the rules. All right. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here in the studio with an expert. Thank God, or else I don't know what I would be saying. Sally Bell is here is telling us a bit more about nutrition. What are the best types of foods to eat? What's the difference between coconut oil, olive oil? We're going to talk about what this whole extra virgin thing means. You know, what's the difference? And uh, when we come back, we will take your phone call as well. You can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877 941 
800-321-3689. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. I love public radio because it makes me laugh. It makes me cry. It makes me think. It makes me squirm. It just is a wonderful thing for me, and I love being there in that space. Member-supported Hawaii Public Radio. Radio with vision. Listen and see. Rachel Zafira is a singer-songwriter making an enchanting and enigmatic chamber pop music with an opera-trained voice that's deployed in whispers. I'm John DiLiberto. We'll hear music from Rachel Zafira's The Deserters, the CD of the month for June, on Echoes, a music soundscape from PRI, Public Radio International. Tonight at 10. Aloha and welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here in the studio with Sally Bellas. As of June 1, what was that, Saturday? You are now the president of the Hawaii Dietetic Association. So if we've ever had an expert, boy, Sally is one. And we're talking about what is good as far as nutrition is concerned. We've had some great calls so far. If you have a question that you're just dying to know, you can join us at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877 Before the break, we were talking with JK about coconut versus olive. And Sally, you said something interesting. You said extra virgin coconut oil can be good for you. So what's the deal with this whole extra virgin, extra, extra virgin? I see that on olive oil all the time. And then you see plain olive oil. Like what's going on here? Well, extra virgin olive oil is the first press, so it's, it's the purest and it's, it's most intense. So you notice that there's different types of olive oils. So it's going to be much stronger tasting. It has a stronger flavor. So some people that don't like the flavor of olive oil might want to try uh, a light olive oil. So they, they do have light olive oils. But that extra virgin is that first press, so um, it's got a higher concentration. So. so like the first press is, okay, so it just kind of like squirts out of the olive. All right. And then your last one is like, I'm going to squeeze this and get some more out of it. So is that kind of how it is, you know, that as you go on from extra, extra, extra virgin to just olive oil, it's kind of like sort of, dare I say, the leftover olive oil? <laughs> I don't know if it's leftover, but that's that's kind of... Not as good as, as the pure one, but still better than some other possible choices. Sure, sure. All right, I'll take that. We've got another caller on the line. We have Diana from Honolulu. Diana, welcome to The Body Show. Yes, hi. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling us. What can we do for you? Uh, Well, I'd like to talk about, um, I guess, a diet type. Uh, My dad has been kind of struggling with weight for many years now. He's tried all kinds of different diets. Um, And recently, his doctor told him that he is, definitely at risk for diabetes. So he's really trying to buckle down and and do something good for himself. And recently he has tried to take up being a vegan. Um, So he's eating no animal products, no fats. Um, And I don't know, it just kind of doesn't sound like the greatest idea to me, but I just wasn't sure how healthy that really is um, for long term. Great question, Diana. And Sally, first of all, Explain to me what's a vegan. A vegan is someone that eats a total plant-based diet. It doesn't include any animal products, so that doesn't include any dairy or eggs or cheese. So, like, what's a vegetarian? A vegetarian could be someone that 
mainly eats a plant-based diet, but maybe they have fish every once in a while, or maybe they include cheese or eggs in their diet. Uh, but a vegan would be someone that uh, does not None take in any animal product. They're just all plants. That's right. All right. So Diana's dad, borderline issues with diabetes. He's just eating plants. Is he doing something a little drastic or is this kind of healthy? You know, it really depends. Now, if someone grew up uh, exposed to vegetarian-type diets and they understand that there needs to be a variety of plant-based foods, then that's fine. But someone that's coming into it fairly new, they really need to understand that they can uh, be deficient in a lot of important nutrients, especially some vitamins and minerals like B12, calcium, iron, folate, uh, very common if they're not um, you know, combining what they need to combine in terms of getting those nutrients, and especially protein can be an issue with strict vegan diets. So it's a it's a good way to go. And in terms of uh, making that change, we know from a lot of population studies with the Seven Day of Venice that um, they have lower rates of heart disease and diabetes, and um, many of them are strict vegans. Vegans, so it's something that someone could certainly uh, live by and do. But, like, you know, Diana's dad can't just pop a bunch of multivitamins. I mean, because if you're not getting enough B12 and folate and calcium, just pop it in a pill. But not really. Not really, Kathleen. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Because when we eat whole foods, a lot of the vitamins and the minerals and everything, all the phytonutrients from foods work synergistically. So when we try to isolate a certain vitamin, like take vitamin E on the side or try to take some extra vitamin C or B12, um, we don't really know that we're getting the benefit that we would get from whole foods because we don't know what else is missing, how it works together. So, you know, it's always important to eat a plant-based diet, but we really want to focus on eating whole fresh foods because the components of those foods work synergistically. And we really can't replicate that in supplements or single vitamins. Now, Diana, you mentioned your dad has a bit of a diabetes issue. He's kind of uh, on the edge. Potentially. He's, he's definitely headed in that direction, unfortunately. Now, one of the so. things, Sally, that we've talked about is there's now, like, Diana, your dad might qualify to do some education classes for the pre-diabetics. You know, in the past, insurance never really focused on this group, and they said, all right, we'll cover nutrition classes when you're diabetic. But you kind of would think that that would be after the fact. You know, let's intervene before somebody becomes diabetic. So would Diana's dad be somebody, I mean, Diana, you're living in Honolulu. So what, would her dad benefit from some sort Sort of pre-diabetic counseling? Absolutely. We have a terrific program at Straub. It's, it's fairly new. It's called Choose Healthy, Live Well. And I'm so excited about it because it is a health and wellness program with a holistic approach that really um, looks at what are the risks for developing diabetes and how can we prevent it? Because you know what? Diabetes is preventable. All right. And that's just, that's just something that just chew on, literally. Diabetes is preventable. So, Diana, does your dad live in the islands? Unfortunately, he doesn't. He's out in Arizona. (laughs) But, you know, it doesn't matter because there might be a program in Arizona that you could help research for him that he could go to to avoid getting diabetes. And sometimes, you know, when you get into that group class environment, when you're there with other people, you're all walking that walk together, you kind of motivate one another and you sort of can get on the ball. And so, you know, I'm thinking that might be a good idea, Diana, is maybe find out if there's a pre-diabetes or healthy wellness class for your dad and make sure that he talks with a nutritionist. Sally's a nutritionist, and you mentioned you might be missing some things if you're not familiar with the vegan diet. This could really help him a bit. That's right, Diane. I really recommend that you uh, 
uh, have your father uh, get a referral um, from his uh, primary care physician to meet with a registered dietitian nutritionist. Um, you know, I think that, uh, I mean, good for him for going vegetarian, but um, we want to make sure he does it right and he's, you know, he's getting a nutritionally sound diet. So that's what I would recommend. So good luck. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks for calling us, Diana. Sally, we've got a lot of callers on the line. This is great. If you want to join us, you can give us a holler at 941-3689, Neighbor Islands 877-941-3689. Speaking of Neighbor Islands, I've got Marsha from Captain Cook. Marsha, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Thank you. Love your program. Well, I'm happy you're calling us. What can we do for you? Uh, well, I have a question. Uh, because, um, NPR, within the last couple of months, I don't know, it could well have been your show, uh, but uh, there was some specialist there who, who said that uh, unless grains are stone ground, the fiber is destroyed because in commercial processing, uh, whole grains are pulverized, thus destroying the fiber. And so I'm wondering what uh, your guest thinks about that. Good question, Marcia. Are we just pounding the goodness out of our food just to make it processed? That's a good question. All right, Sally, what do you think? Whole grains, are we pounding it out? Yes, I mean, I think I think that's, you know, we really, like I said, when you're looking at the food label, you really do want to look for um, ingredients. You want to look for 100% whole wheat flour. You want to look for oat bran or wheat bran. And you want to see those specks in there. So um, a lot of times it just depends how much they process the food. So I always look for stone ground wheat or sprouted wheat. And a lot of times you're going to look at um, the the flour itself because a lot of times somebody says oh I buy brown bread or I eat wheat bread right. well wheat flour is white flour so that doesn't really tell me much so again you also want to make sure you look at that label and look for dietary fiber and look for something that has at least three grams but I say let's go for five so anything that has five grams or more is an excellent source and you should you should see that in there and that's another reason why it's really recommended to eat. Um, the, the whole grain as much as possible, steel-cut oats versus a lot of people are eating instant oatmeal. And it's so, you know, it's much more processed to cook quickly, but it doesn't provide the, the amount of fiber that we need. Right. But um, like on the labeling where it says, say, five grams of fiber, but maybe the company is basing that on the original whole grain and not after the processing. And, I mean, it's not easy to find, uh, uh, you know, bread and whatever it says, stone ground. So the only answer I can figure out is just to eat, um, you know, um, brown rice and brown wheat and all the other things already there because, um, and then if you go to the health food store and it's specifically a whole, um, sorry, uh, specifically stone ground or whatever, then if you're looking at like it's $7 a loaf. Yeah, so I mean, we 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 get what we pay for too, but right. um, you you definitely want to look um, at the actual bread, you know, the crackers, whatever you're buying, and you want to look for the fiber on the label. But you know what's happening now is they're actually adding fiber back into a lot of foods. So I mean, you can get a a, a sweetener like uh, you know with with fiber in it and put in your coffee. So you know, um, it's always best to go back to whole foods. So I'm I'm glad you're aware of that. That's right. so important. Well, thank you so much. You're welcome. 
Okay. All right. Thanks Bye-bye. for calling us today, okay. Marsha. You brought up another good point. You know, just because it says on the label it's really good for you doesn't mean that, you know, they haven't kind of done something to it that took away some of those good ingredients. So another thing to keep in mind. All right, Sally, you're just going to be my food shopper. I'm just going to send you to the food store and say, pick me healthy foods and, and deliver them to my house or something because, God, all that label reading, it must take forever. All right. We've got Jody on the line from Kula. Jody, welcome to The Body Show. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Great show. Thanks for calling. What can we do for you? My question is kind of a two-part with olive oil. About um, how long do you think it would take for someone that hasn't been like on the regular with uh, using olive oil products? And about what, what would the, be the amount you should use, say, on a daily basis? Do you mean to like get those cholesterol improvements we talked about? Exactly. Get your LDL good and your HDL. Good question. So how long does it take to actually see it? And do you have to do it every day? Part one. Sally, what do you think? Should you have a little olive oil every day? Um, we absolutely should include these essential healthy fats in our diet every day. So yes. And you want... Can you just eat olives? You you can eat olives. You would can. you have to eat like a whole bunch of them yeah, to get you, the same effect? Like enough that I just would just run right. away? Right. So the, okay. the olive oil would be more concentrated. So, you know, it's it's great for dressings and salads. And you actually can cook with it. You know, not at a very high heat, but, you know, you can. Um, and you want to get that benefit. Now, in terms of the amount, we want at least 20 to 30 percent of our calories to come from these healthy fats. Um, so, you know, at a time, we don't want to use more than a tablespoon or two in terms of dressing or cooking with oils. But you certainly can include that in your diet um, every day. And how long would it take to really show those cholesterol improvements? A couple of months? It would take at least three three months. I mean, most of the time when when my patients go to their physician, they're they're getting their blood tests done every every, every quarter, three or four months, or three so. to okay. four months. And and I think if someone really made some changes in terms of their diet, we could actually see see changes in that time. For sure. All right, part two, my friend. Awesome, awesome. You've answered you've answered it all actually. Oh, Thank that was it. So well, I wanted to add that. I wanted to add that you all know, right. sixty to seventy percent of the cholesterol in our bodies, our liver manufactures. But don't forget that you can impact the other 30, 30% with what we're eating. So that's very powerful in terms of the foods we choose. All right. Well, thanks so much for calling us, Jody from Kula, and uh, for helping us share that good nutrition for you. So you mentioned something really interesting, Sally. You said 60 to 70% of the cholesterol the liver makes by itself. Why? I mean, is it just because we need a little bit of cholesterol to live, to do essential functions? We need to have some in there, right? That's right. Cholesterol is a component of a lot of the hormones our body produces. So So we need some. Absolutely. But we don't have to add a whole lot more. No, we don't. And if we don't have enough, does our liver just make some more for us? It It's pretty consistent in terms of what it makes. You know, some people have what we call familial hypercholesterolemia, where their their livers just make a lot of cholesterol. So sometimes they need help with medicine. But the diet can make a huge difference. And by the way, cholesterol is only found in animal foods. There's no cholesterol in plants. So if you're a vegetarian or, as we say, a strict vegan, you don't have any cholesterol coming from your diet. Because you're just eating plants. That's right. All right. Well, that sounds like something to aspire to, um, maybe. So you could you could have your salad, you could have your plants, and you could put a little bit of olive oil in there, and, and, and that would be healthy. 
Sure. Don't forget the protein. Maybe some tofu. All right. So let's talk about that. Because if somebody says, okay, I want to be a vegan or I just want to eat plants, they're missing some stuff. You mentioned they might be missing certain vitamins and things. And uh, they also might be missing a bit of protein. So non-animal product sources of protein. You mentioned tofu. Tofu or any soy products from soy. So soybeans are an excellent source or some soy-based products like tempeh or textured vegetable proteins. And uh, some grains. Quinoa is a very good source of protein, and it's actually a seed. So so there are some options out there. Absolutely. Okay. Now, we had a shy caller who wanted to know, um, what do you think about fasting? Like, what if somebody were to say, okay, I'm going to eat a bunch of bad food, and then two days a week, I'm just going to fast and maybe have less than, you know, 500 calories a day. And then I'm going to go back to eating my other foods. Good, bad, too much for your body might not be a good idea. What do you think? Well, fasting, it depends what kind of fast. You know, there's a lot of different fasts. There's the master cleanse diet. There's the Daniel yeah, what fast. Are you, what so, are you cleansing out? I mean, I hear about all these cleanses, and I'm thinking, uh, what are you trying to get rid of? Well, you know what? Our bodies are fully equipped. Um, we're designed, the human body's designed beautifully to detoxify itself. So our liver works very hard every day for us and our digestive system. And um, so, you know, we don't need to detox. Um, Our bodies are well-equipped to do that on their own. Um, Sometimes detox can be very dangerous. It can uh, cause a lot of loose stools. We can get dehydrated, um, lose a lot of body fluids. And, you know, unless someone is under the guidance of their physician, Fasting long-term can be very dangerous. It can really deplete the body, and it can lead to irregular heartbeats and a lot of other problems. So um, if someone said, oh, I just wanted to, you know, fast for a day or two, you know, I may not necessarily recommend that, but I would support them. But if someone's going to do a long-term fast um, or just a liquid diet like a master cleanse for, you know, a couple of weeks, that, that can be very dangerous, especially if they have other health conditions going on or they're on certain prescription medications. I mean, really, we really have to consider all this. And I always recommend to my patients as a registered dietitian nutritionist that they check with their doctor first and always before they start any kind of diet, especially something very restrictive like very low calorie diets or, or fasting type diets. Because this could set your body into a metabolic pattern that could really throw you off. Absolutely. Heart rhythm problems, muscle cramps, all sorts of different things. Right. And it's kind of like, you know, mimicking yo-yo dieting. You know, you fast and then you go back eating whatever and you fast. So, you know, long term, we want to always choose whole fresh foods and eat a variety, especially of fruits and vegetables. And um, And be consistent. Absolutely. All right, I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak here with certified diabetes education, educator nutrition expert Sally Bellas from Straub Clinic and Hospital, and we are taking your calls about the latest in nutrition and what are some of those fad diets that people seem to want to follow and what really are we cleansing. So you can give us a holler at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands 877-941-3689. When we come back, we will talk some more about some of those diets you might have heard about, the paleo diet, the eat for your blood type, the Atkins, the South Beach, you name it. We're going to talk about is it a good diet to consider and what are some of the things you have to watch out for. You can join us at any time and we will be right back after this quick break. 941-3689. We'll be right back. Beer pilgrimages to Belgium. I don't care how bad or good of a day you're having. 
If you have a Belgian beer, your day will be better. Flea Market Bargains in Paris. Some of my favorite gifts have come from there. Vintage glassware, cheese knives, a leather jacket. And the surprises you'll find in Europe's largest underground canyon. Pursue your passions on the next Travel with Rick Steves. Tuesday at 4 p.m. following Fresh Air. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. Next time on Bite Marsh Cafe, we'll explore the future of the web. How are technologies like HTML5, responsive design, JavaScript, and APIs creating a new online experience? We'll find out how web developers in Hawaii keep up with the latest technology and how they see things evolving. That's next time on Bite Marsh Cafe, Wednesday at 5. Aloha, I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak. Welcome back to The Body Show. We're here in the studio with Sally Bellez, and she is a certified diabetes educator, sort of a nutrition expert, and she's telling us, hey, what really should we eat, and what are some of these labels telling us that really isn't right? You can join our conversation at 941-3689, toll-free neighbor islands, 877-941-3689. Sally, we've got to talk about it. Every time you turn around, there's a new major diet out there. It's like, you know, Atkins, don't eat carbohydrates or The Zone or, you know, South Beach or all these sorts of things that say, don't eat this, don't eat that. Why do we have these sorts of things out there? You know, eat for your blood type was out a few years ago. Then there's something else, the paleo diet. We all should be running around catching our food or something. What's going on? You know why? Because I think we all want to wake up and we want to be 20, 30 pounds lighter like tomorrow. Well, okay, sign me up for that. (laughs) But it's not going to happen. No. Uh, It's going to take hard work. You know, I don't know about hard work. I do believe that we can eat nutritiously and deliciously and really enjoy our food with whole fresh foods. So I believe that. But, you know, there has to be some vigilance in terms of exercise. And when we talk about diets, one of the biggest, uh, like a red flag for, for me, is a diet that doesn't include an exercise component or doesn't have any transition for maintenance long term because we can't fast forever. Okay, so you don't want to go ahead and just watch your food. You have to do something else healthy. You need to add a little activity, a little exercise. And so you want something that will be a combination of both. Absolutely. So when I look at some of the different diets or I peer peer review diets, I'm always looking for a diet that's nutritionally sound, that's balanced, that doesn't eliminate any of the food groups. And I look for a diet that includes a maintenance and transition phase and also a diet that includes the physical activity components. So important. Any diet that excludes a certain food group or types of foods, I, you know, it's a red flag for me. Or if they don't, they say, oh, lose weight without exercise. Um, that really is a red flag. So now, but if you're a vegan, you're kind of eliminating certain types of foods, but not food groups. Is that kind of the difference? You're not really eliminating all protein. You're just saying, I choose my source. Right. So what I'm really talking about is a diet that doesn't eliminate or severely restrict any particular macronutrient. So remember, those are your carbs, your proteins, and your fat. So, you know, I think about fad diets past, present, and and future, of course. Who knows what's next? But, you know, you look back into the 1940s um, and look at some of the diets back then. And, you know, the master cleanse, believe it or not, that diet was back in the 1940s. Wow. Yes. 1940s. 1940s. That's how old that guy is. Okay, so like, you know, really old. Right. And, you know, it promised, you know, 
um, a 20-pound weight loss in, you know, in so many weeks. Well, guess what? It also included a nightly um, laxative. So that's a form of purging, which is not very healthy. So that was one of the things that was a red flag for me with this diet because it involves Forcing taking, your body to get rid of right. nutrients and potentially forcing yourself to, to kind of do like a cleanse. Right. Okay, so the master cleanse, not really something you want to follow. Right, so taking that into the 1940s and then getting into the, you know, the the 70s where we had the grapefruit diet, the Pritikin diet. You know, Nathan Pritikin became very famous for his uh, Pritikin diet, which was very high carb. So this was pre-low carb. It was very high carb, uh, plant-based, so fiber, uh, fiber, grains, fruits, vegetables, beans, uh, legumes, yams. Um, but it was very low fat, less than 10%. So remember I said most uh, healthy diets should include at least 20% calories coming from these healthy fats. Well, this was less than 10% fat, and it included, included very little meat and dairy, um, no processed foods. So, boy, how would you find no processed foods these days? Everything's processed a little bit. You'd really have to go to that, you know, I'm going to grow my own foods and I'm going to get all my plants and stuff. That's right. So then that kind of led into, you know, the grapefruit diet, the cabbage soup diet. And then we we got into Atkins. Then Atkins came along. And this went from very high-carb, low-fat Pritikin to very low-carb. And this really limited fruits in the diet and even some vegetables and grains. And uh, the claim to fame with this diet is that you could lose 15 pounds in two weeks. Well, Again, uh, too fast and really would set your body in a wrong metabolic frame and then you'd have troubles. Absolutely. And I have so many patients that have tried this diet and have gained their weight back. And, you know, it's not something that uh, we can do long term. And that's always uh, – you know, that's the problem I have with a lot of these fad diets, past, present, and future, is um, there's not enough strong scientific evidence. A lot of the studies are not, um, you know, they're not well um, done studies. And so I, there's not enough claims to back up. A lot of them are based on testimonials or, you know, um, is, and these diets are so rigid. They're difficult to follow long term. They're very restrictive. They don't consider personal or cultural preferences, which is so important. And that's another huge thing, particularly here in the island. Some people have different types of foods that they eat, and and they may not even have foods in some of these food groups that go along with their cultural beliefs. So you're right. That's another issue. So your overall verdict on fad diets, don't go there. You know, plant-based, wholesome, whole foods include the three macronutrients, you got to have some carbohydrate. Hey, carbs are energy source, you know. So the you got to get up off the couch. You need some energy. You need to have right. some carbohydrates. That's Just right. don't go crazy with them. Right. Okay. All right. We've got a couple of callers in the line. We've got T from Kaneohe. T, welcome to The Body Show. Hi. Yeah, I wanted to um, endorse your comment about not eating, fasting too much because I really – got some serious long-term damage from fasting too much when I was too young to realize that what my doctor told me later was that 
fasting is something that's a spiritual practice that after you become spiritual you can do but when you're not that spiritual yet you shouldn't just go ahead and stop eating for 40 days and 40 nights it doesn't work <laughs> all right so you learned an important lesson and what was what did, what did you learn from that don't fast or everything in moderation or be careful with what people tell you well, since then, since I found out, I fasted a lot more before I was through, but since I found out about not fasting, I fast one meal once in a while, but I never fast a whole day. So you've really because, changed you know, and modified. Like you've got to have the fuel inside the tank to run the thing. You've got it, R.I.T. You learned it. It's not going to go. You're right. You learned an important lesson, and I want to thank you for bringing that up because you're right. Some spiritual practices may suggest that you fast for an extended period of time, but, you know, you want to make sure that you're getting your body nutrition because although that might be a belief system in in a spiritual way, that may not be so good for your body and healthy. So I'm glad that you learned that lesson, and I want to thank you for sharing that with us because you're right. That's a really important point. There could be long-term damage before you really know what you're doing. So Thanks for sharing that comment with us. We've got another caller. We've got Jay from Maui. Jay, welcome to The Body Show. Yeah, how are you today? Great. How about yourself? Just fine. I really appreciate the two of you coming together. And my question is this. Oftentimes, and I've had this experience because I've had several operations in the last mm, three or four years, nutritionists and doctors don't seem to have a like mind in, in their experience or understanding of the human body. So my question to both of you is from your own experiences in, in the field that you study is do you feel, doctor first, do you feel that as you're taking these courses of becoming a doctor, physician, that more nutrition information should be given to you that will affect your outlook and I guess your profession, you know, when you become a doctor? And to the nutritionist, that do you feel that should you be a closer connection to the medical industry or as physicians of doing just what you're doing right now, exchanging information, you know, getting a viewpoint from each party and also from the, um, I was going to say the customer, but from the patient, you know, uh, what their feedback is, because um, I'll say this real quick. On my previous operation, I had operation on my intestines, so my comment to the doctor is, okay, what can I eat and how much and what should I do? Well, they kind of just slid over and said, oh, kind of eat what you want and kind of come back to the to us when you have any problems. Well, that wasn't good for me, so I went to a nutritionist and gave me more in-depth information. So that's the crust of my comment and question. All right, Jay, that's an excellent comment and an excellent question. And I think from my perspective, you're absolutely right. We take, boy, like maybe six weeks of a basic nutrition class, and it really doesn't give real-world experience for what do you tell somebody who has diabetes and gout and kidney stones and all these other challenges on what they can eat. And sometimes, you know, we just get lazy, and I'll just throw that out there and say, boy, if you had an intestinal surgery and somebody said, ah, just eat what you want, see how it goes, let us know if something bad happens, you know, I could almost hear that coming out of my own mouth at some point. But you're right, you had an intestinal surgery, and you have some really specific nutrition guidelines that you want to follow. And boy, the first thing I would do would say, hey, listen, you know what, I've got an expert who can help you spend some time with them, because they're going to have some really good scientific information. And sometimes doctors, you know, we just need to know our limits. I don't know anywhere near as much about nutrition as someone like Sally does. This is what she does day in and day out. Sally, what do you think? I mean, do you think, you know, you've dealt with docs, you deal with a lot of us, and do you think we're just, 
you know, were we just sleeping during nutrition class? Are we just not geared to giving some of that information to help people be more proactive? What do you think? Be honest, Sally, because, you know, I want you to be honest. Well, I in my 18 plus years of experience, I, I have to say I've been lucky that I've worked with some wonderful physicians who um, are very good about referring to the dietitian. So, um, yes, um, many physicians are limited in terms of their nutrition knowledge, but um, I think the physicians that I've worked with have been great, and they um, understand the extent of, you know, their ability in that area and their knowledge. And um, so, um, you know, they keep us very busy, as dietitians, and we get a lot of referrals, um, and I appreciate that. We have something wonderful at Straub and actually in a lot of uh, facilities called the Electronic Medical Record. I love it. At Straub, we have what we call EPIC, and it allows me to communicate directly with my patients, physicians, um, their primary care physician, their specialist. And so we're all on the same page in terms of communication, what's going on with the patient. I always communicate with physicians because I want to reinforce what the physician recommended. Good example is my patients that have chronic kidney disease. A lot of times they're seeing their primary doctor, but then they also see a nephrologist, which is a kidney specialist. Well, a lot of times they're going to be on a special diet that's ordered by that nephrologist. And so I want to know what is that diet order, and my job is to reinforce that and work with the nephrologist so that I can educate that patient I want to keep them safe first and foremost, and I want to make sure that I'm providing the, the best information to them. So um, I think it's teamwork, and I really am lucky to work with some wonderful physicians. All right. Boy, that's a nice way to say uh, I like the docs I work with, Sally. Good going. But I mean, truthfully, I think you're right. There has to be a teamwork approach. And these days, even a lot of insurance companies are saying, you know what, before somebody gets into trouble, let's talk with them about healthy nutrition, things that they can eat, and healthy dietary changes they can make so they don't get sick. And, and kudos to everybody who sends folks to nutritionists and also to the insurance companies who are now starting to actually really take a look look at this and value your services, which I always tell people, boy, the cost of a cholesterol medicine and a copay is quite a bit over the course of a year. And the cost of sitting down with you and learning all of this for one hour is absolutely less than that. So it's a, it's a great investment in their time and can really change their efforts in the future as well. All right, we've got time for just a quick one one or two more callers. We've got Reggie holding so patiently from Kaka'ako. Reggie, welcome to The Body Show. Hi, how are you? Great. What can we do for you? Um, I was actually calling because I'm an exercise physiologist by trade, and um, what I tend to do is just recommend the DAS diet to all of my clients just because it seems like the easiest thing to do. And unless they need, like, a nutritionist point of view, I, I feel... Um, that is like the general recommendation of diet that most everyone should follow. Um, I just wanted to ask your expert's opinion on that and then also what her opinion is on Dr. Lustig's work and his war on sugar practically. Well, it's a great question, you know, because you do a little bit of both, the exercise and also give people some nutritional advice. Sally, what do you think about that? I mean, I think having somebody who's a who's an exercise expert who who might be able to help somebody say, hey, listen, we're going to do a big-time workout tomorrow, make sure you get a little bit of extra of your energy foods kind of thing, that sounds like it's a good approach. But what do we think about some of these things like a war on sugar? I mean, is all sugar bad? Do I just never get to eat chocolate again? Help me. 
well, we definitely want to avoid refined table sugar, which is your white table sugar. So we know that sugar has a lot of calories, so sugary drinks can cause weight gain. And I have patients ask all the time, you know, if I if I ate a lot of sugar or drank a lot of soda, am I going to get diabetes? Well, you know, it's not the sugar itself, but it's the calories and the weight gain that's coming from the sugar. And um, you could get diabetes. Yes. And sugar, you know, oftentimes, a lot of times, will replace other nutrients in the diet or more nutritious options. So we definitely need to avoid sugars. And we know from research that high sugar can, um, or um, people that uh, have a lot of sugar in their diets are at increased risk for a lot of other problems, not just diabetes, but also for certain cancers. So even for, uh, I I also do oncology. So that's another uh, specialty of mine. And I always recommend avoiding, you know, um, high sugar in the diet, refined sugars. But I want to get back to the DASH diet because I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, DASH diet for our listeners stands for Dietary Approaches to Stop Hypertension. It's an excellent diet because it is based on a plant-based way of eating, and it includes some low-fat dairy products. It includes all three macronutrients, and it um, when they peer-reviewed a lot of the different diets, DASH diet came out number one. So it's it's one of the sound diets out there. It is not, I repeat, it is not a fad diet. Um, it has a lot of scientific evidence and research backing it up, um, and I apply it to my patients that have diabetes, cancer, not just my patients with high blood pressure. So this is one of those sorts of dietary recommendations that people really can follow. And it's not just reducing salt. The DASH diet includes also being careful with refined sugars, being careful with appropriate types of fats and proteins and carbohydrates. So it really does give you a good dietary plan. Absolutely. And one of the things is because it's plant-based, it um, it includes rich sources of potassium from Greek yogurt or um, low-fat soy milk, or we can get it from uh, dark leafy greens. So one of the important things is that sometimes persons can improve their blood pressure. We find that they may be a little deficient in potassium, so there needs to be that balance between calcium and potassium for healthy blood pressure. And that's really one of the uh, highlights of the DASH diet. So if I had my choice for popping a bunch of pills versus getting vitamins and nutrients from actual sources of food, don't pop the pills. Look towards the healthy foods. Absolutely. And if I had to choose healthy food groups, I really should look more towards plant-based things, not processed. Don't go for the donut. Try and instead have yourself a whole grain piece of toast if you have to. Really look at some of those food labels and be extra careful about what I'm eating. Right. So the whole focus to is is to uh, look at eating a plant-based diet. Now, I didn't say vegan, and that's that's fine if, if someone knows that they're balancing and getting enough protein from non-animal uh, sources. But when I say plant-based, it does include some animal protein, but we're talking about lean animal proteins, okay? Protein provides a lot of important vitamins and minerals, thiamine, very essential, iron. So there are lean proteins available, so... 
So you are what you eat. Oh, all right, Sally. Thank you so much for sharing your expertise with us today on The Body Show. We're going to have to have you on again because we didn't even cover a whole bunch of stuff that I know people are dying to hear about. Sally Bellez is an expert certified diabetes educator and a registered dietitian nutritionist at Straub Clinic and Hospital. If you're interested in a dietary consult, talk with your primary care provider and they can help arrange one for you. If you'd like to hear this show again, you can click on our podcast at www.hawaiipublicradio.org. Our engineer is David Chong, our executive producer, Beth Ann Kozlovich. I'm Dr. Kathy Kozak. See you next week, Monday at 5 on The Body Show show.